Welcome to the Lamaze Podcast. Kalosirtate sto Lamaze Podcast. Welcome to the Lamaze Podcast. Well, hello. Welcome to the Lamaze Podcast, where we chat all things pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum experience. Lamaze International is a global organization committed to supporting families from pregnancy all the way to parenthood. This podcast is an extension of our passion, which has been educating and journeying alongside families for over 60 years. Lamaze is more than just breathing, and today's podcast will explore and hopefully help educate you on how to advocate for healthy pregnancy, safe birth, and early parenting through evidence-based education. Let's get started. So my name is Priyanka Banerjee, and I am the host for today's podcast episode. I'm coming to you as an Indo-Canadian person of color living in Washington, D.C., where I get to put my skills as a physical therapist and my creative spirit into action, working for DC birth doulas. It's working with a wonderful set of perinatal educators and doulas that I was introduced to Lamaze. And well, the rest is history. So today my guest is Lauren Troche, a pelvic floor physical therapist here in DC. Lauren, I'm gonna just pass the mic to you so you can tell our guests a little bit more about yourself. Okay. Well, like you said, my name is Lauren Troche. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist and I practice in DC and also in Northern Virginia. And I also help to lead a pelvic floor program in one of our bigger hospital centers in Northern Virginia as well. Along with that, I've done some educational talks with some different pelvic floor educational companies and have been involved locally with some scientific journal clubs in just our local DC area, which is a really nice place to practice because we have so many wonderful practitioners in pelvic floor physical therapy, urology, acupuncture, everything you can imagine to support people who are having pelvic floor issues, which is so nice. I'm very fortunate to be in this area. And I know not everyone is as fortunate. So I'm hoping that when we're talking in this podcast as well, that we can also help out everyone, whether you're in a more busy metropolitan area where you have a lot of resources, or maybe you're in an area where you don't have quite as many resources. Because I think that's something that we run into a lot as providers and caretakers. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. And that's why we have you here today. So Lauren, I mean, honestly, based on my own observations, I feel like a lot of people believe that pelvic floor physio or physical therapy is something that people really seek in the postpartum period. Today, I really would love to debunk that myth. (laughs) Let's focus on why seeking pelvic floor PT might be helpful to pregnant bodies before they even become pregnant. So first off, I think what will be helpful for our listeners will be a little audio anatomy lesson, if you can manage that for well (laughs) I will do my best I'm so used to educating people Mm -hmm. with like a 3d pelvic model but I will do my best to describe just with my voice and for people who are more visual learners 
there is a company out there and they have a great Instagram page and YouTube as well. They're called My Pelvic Floor Muscles and they're run by a pelvic floor physical therapist. And they have really great images of the pelvic floor that I think can be very helpful in trying to image or visualize the pelvic floor. The pelvic floor muscles, they kind of look like a bowl at the base of your pelvis. So most of them are starting around the pubic bone area and attached to the tailbone area. So they're the muscles between your legs and they help to support your bowel, your bladder, and your vagina if you have those pelvic organs. So I know that's kind of a basic anatomy. There are a lot of pelvic floor muscles, but I do recommend that if you are a visual learner, I mean, you can even go on Google and look up pelvic floor, or you can go to that My Pelvic Floor Muscles site because they have really great videos and images of what they are. Because I know until I started practicing and finding these resources myself, I didn't have any idea of what exactly these muscles were. So if you feel that way, that's totally normal. (laughs) Right. I mean, both of us as physical therapists, we studied it. But then until you actually start to see a model and understand all those details, it's hard to conceptualize. So these muscles sort of you're talking about are coming from the front, the pubic bone, right to the back, to the tailbone, right? Kind of like a sling or like you were saying, bowl-like. Yes, I love Yes, yes. I love sling, hammock. Oftentimes, those analogies are used. And it's so helpful to have (laughs) another physical therapist helping me with this, because I think we all use different language to help us to visualize. So whether you want to think of it as kind of a bowl or a sling or a hammock, a lot of people like to think of it as a real hammock that's supporting those pelvic organs. And that can make it a little bit easier to conceptualize. So whichever one sticks best with you, I think is helpful. The other piece that I was always interested by, or I, I honestly don't think I had a concept of like sort of the order of your organs in your pelvic floor. So you have, and correct me if I'm wrong, the bladder is sort of most up front, mm-hmm. and then you have your uterus, and then your gastrointestinal tract. Is that correct? That is correct. So I don't know if you've ever, I mean, we've all felt that sort of way when you really, really have to go to the bathroom and your bladder is very full, if you've got your pubic bone right in the front, your bladder is kind of right behind it. And you know, when it's nice and expanded above that. So if somebody were to press on your lower abdomen in that area, you would probably feel like you were going to pee yourself. And that's right right where that bladder is. And then behind that, as you said, is the uterus, which is right above the vagina. And behind that, you've got that GI tract, that colon, that rectum. Okay. That, I mean, there's so much more to the anatomy down there, but I think that's a good introduction for us. So like I said before, Lamaze isn't just about breathing. It's, it's a lot more than that. And nor is pelvic floor physio. So What I've found, however, is that there is some sort of connection there. What's breathing got to do with all this anatomy, the pelvic floor, and and pregnancy? It has everything to do with it. Um, (laughs) I think, you know, we think of the pelvic floor muscles, but we definitely don't think of them alone. They're working within a system. 
so we discussed that you've got your pelvic floor above it. You've got your pelvic organs. Even above that, you've got your whole GI system. You've got your stomach. You've got all of the organs that are within your abdominal wall. And above that, you have your diaphragm, which sits right below your lungs. And the diaphragm muscle is the primary muscle of breathing. And it's moving up and down as you breathe. And when you take a deep breath in and that diaphragm moves downwards, you still have all the organs of, you know, within your abdomen and in your pelvis. So as you breathe in, as that diaphragm comes down, your pelvic floor drops down a little bit as well. It almost kind of moves as a system. And that's just one way in which the breath has an impact on the pelvic floor, how you're breathing might help to lengthen or help your pelvic floor return to its normal resting position. When we want to have a bowel movement, we're probably going to do certain things with our breath to help us to go to the bathroom. And as well, your area of expertise, the kind of breath that is involved with helping to lengthen and open up the pelvic floor if you were to have a vaginal delivery is really important as well. So that breath and what we're doing with our breath has a lot of impact on not only the pelvic floor, but on our, you know, this might be another topic for another day, but definitely on our autonomic nervous system as well. Something that can tap in to help keep us calm. It's just such a huge, huge part of our system in pelvic floor physical therapy and in your general health as well. Yeah. I mean, even just any mindfulness practice, I think starts with breath and you hear a lot about this nervous system and the impact that it has on, on multiple levels of our health and well-being. I do want to point out to our listeners that unfortunately, because this is a podcast, I loved how you know, you talk with your hands and, and that's what we do as <laughs> physical therapists. And I think as educators in general, so I really do encourage people to seek out some of those videos if they are interested, like you mentioned earlier on, because it, it just gives you a much better visual of what's going on. Now, you and I have chatted actually a little bit about my own experience having a traumatic brain injury and how seeking pelvic floor physio was actually really important for me as I started to consider trying to conceive again after multiple years of infertility. So in my case, my head injury actually resulted in my having a really tight pelvic floor. What are some of the symptoms, I mean, besides those that I was feeling that someone might, like me might have that cues them to maybe seek some help? And I love that you include your own example, because we can list off a few things that might contribute to some overactivity of those pelvic floor muscles, you know, history of urinary tract infections or yeast infections or any type of infection down there can lead to those increase the chance of pelvic floor muscle overactivity, any sort of trauma to that area can increase that kind of protective response of those pelvic floor muscles, that guarded response, whether it be any type of unwanted crossing of boundaries, any type of trauma, even it being like a fall on your tailbone, or maybe a medical experience that was less than positive. All of that can lead to this 
protective guarding of the pelvic floor, but it's not just like you said, something that it's not always something that's involved in the pelvis that can create that pelvic floor muscle overactivity. It can be other types of, of stress to the body as well. And for some people, you know, some people might start tensing up the muscles of their jaw or their shoulder girdle or their abdomen. But for some people, it's just those pelvic floor muscles that can start to hold some tension. Yeah. I mean, you listed a good list there, but I, I mean, even just from my own experience, thinking about, you know, multiple pelvic ultrasounds or transvaginal ultrasounds and, and the irritation, and especially if you don't have a good, um, or a, a sonographer who's more willing to listen to your concerns and go a little bit slower or make some modifications. Another interesting one was you said the tailbone and falling on your tailbone. And it, and it's funny because actually it was something that happened in my own experience. I remember first year of college, it's that first freshman week and you're playing volleyball and you get thrown in the air and I didn't get caught. And I just landed really hard on my tailbone. And I remember that first year of college, I was just sitting on like a cushion and I like, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot for those muscles. And like you said, the whole pelvic floor in that hammock, that bowl, it's, it's connected. I also, I hadn't ever thought about a really bad urinary tract infection, perhaps being traumatic to that region. And then for our listeners who may have had multiple losses or DNCs or other types of urogynecological urogynecological, sorry, surgeries, it, it can, it can change the way your body functions like any mm-hmm. other impact would on other parts of your body, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm speaking to the converted right now. So <laughs> <laughs> clearly, you and I speak the same language. But mm-hmm. I think it's important for others to sort of get that under their under their belts as well. Now, one of my biggest pet peeves when I was trying to have discussions with my primary care provider about some of the issues I was having was the suggestion of of Kegels. Now, I understand they have a time and a place, but they're not for everyone. Am I right? That is correct. So if we talk about a person who might have an overactive pelvic floor or a pelvic floor that has a tough time relaxing, sometimes adding additional strengthening or contraction of that muscle can lead to some additional discomfort. That doesn't mean Kegels will never be part of your program. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be something later on, or it might be something that you never do. And I think for some providers, and no shade to them, but that's kind Mm -hmm. of their only you know, kind of window of knowledge into the pelvic floor, just like, you know, my only window of knowledge into blood pressure medications might be like one sort of blood pressure medication. So I think while a lot of the education to, okay, start some Kegels might be well-intentioned and maybe on the right track, because yes, you needed some help for the pelvic floor. It's not the right program for everyone. Just like if you were to have some back pain or neck pain or shoulder pain, the first thing on the list of things to do might not be strengthening. Now, for some people it might, Mm. 
but some people might need other type of training to help let go before they can build things back up again. Right. And I think, I think you have such a great point when you say, even for ourselves, we may not have, you know, had a lot of education on all the blood pressure medications or lab values and all of those little things. And sometimes we as educators and as healthcare providers do need to go back and review some of that information. And in a 15 minute appointment with your OB or midwife, like uh, that can go really fast or with your GP. And so I'm glad we're able to share this information with listeners because yeah, it's it's not a fault of of the provider necessarily. It's it's as much just our education on the matter. Right. Cause you know, nobody can know, you know, because primary care physicians have to know so much about mm-hmm. so many things. And all providers that our knowledge can sometimes be unfortunately an inch wide and a mile deep. So we know so much about our own right. topic. But unfortunately, sometimes instead of getting referred out to a pelvic floor specialist, people are just given Kegels, which I would just say to people, don't be intimidated to advocate for yourself. And if you feel like you need a little bit of extra help and you want to seek the advice of a pelvic floor physical therapist, there's nothing wrong in asking for a referral. And if your primary care physician doesn't feel comfortable then they want to send you to a GYN first or, you know, a urogynecologist first, that's fine. But, you know, don't be afraid to continue to advocate for the help that you need. Awesome. That's really, really lovely advice for everybody, I I would say. Now, in terms of those who might have pelvic floor issues prior to pregnancy, where strengthening really is the primary focus, what might those clients look like in terms of their symptoms? So if if maybe somebody had a potentially weaker pelvic floor or pelvic floor that just wasn't firing or acting as we would want it to, it might present as loss of bladder control, maybe leaking with laughing, sneezing, coughing, or exercise maybe it would present as also maybe like a loss of gas. Those are some of the big things that may indicate to us that you would be appropriate for a strengthening program. Now, unfortunately, sometimes those can also be signs that your pelvic floor needs to relax a little bit to function better. Mm -hmm. So we can never know 100% for sure until we do an assessment. But if you're feeling not so strong, if you're having leakage of urine or gas or stool, that might be an indication that you would be appropriate for a pelvic floor muscle strengthening program. Right. And I mean, in terms of the other side of things that we were discussing, those same symptoms apply, but it might also include urinary retention, perhaps. Yeah, if you were if you were having issues with that overactive pelvic floor, and I'm sorry if that was the question that you, that you originally asked. No, um, no, I mean we're we're chatting here. We're chatting. Here. So if you had that overactive pelvic floor, it, it might be some signs that might be yeah you have 
difficulty going to the bathroom. Maybe you're having some constipation or some difficulty peeing, or maybe you start peeing and then it stops, or you're feeling like you're not completely emptying. So having trouble getting stuff out, or maybe you're having some difficulty, some discomfort with any type of penetration, whether that be during gynecological exam, if you use a tampon, or if you maybe you use a menstrual cup, or if you have any type of penetration during sexual intimacy as well. Right. I mean, I know uh, one of the things I would always joke about was working in a hospital, we were always running back and forth. And, and sometimes it's like we developed this a nurse's bladder, right? Where, where you're like, <laughs> where you're really like just holding your pee forever. But unfortunately, that can also, like you said, lead to that feeling of like, oh, I'd never actually empty my bladder, and mm-hmm. that could be another little thought process to thinking, okay, maybe maybe I should get a little physio. Yes, <laughs> I mean that's you know, a gross. Gross exaggeration, and that's only one symptom, but no, but you know, and unfortunately, we kind of live in these busy worlds where mm-hmm. we're either sitting for hours and hours and hours and never getting up or never having the time to go to the bathroom or whatever it might be, where our physical and beyond that, you know, our bodily needs are not being met. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, your body will eventually start to let you know that you need to go get some help. Yeah, I think that's, it's, it's nice to be able to talk about some of these things openly and honestly, because they are mm-hmm. awkward and difficult to talk about sometimes. Um, so the other thing I was going to mention in today's podcast was these little biofeedback devices. I've seen them online. And what is their role besides maybe strengthening the pelvic floor? And does everyone really need them? So, uh, and there's so many out there, and I'm kind of familiar with some of them. So I'm a little bit more familiar with the devices that you can put inside the vagina, and they can indicate whether you are squeezing around them. So there might be some that I don't know about quite as well. But I think most of them are to show you that you are tightening around the device that's within your vagina. So I think they're most often marketed to people who need pelvic floor muscle strengthening. Is that correct? Or there's some that I'm missing? I mean, I think, I think that's what I've seen. Um, Yeah. I've also heard about like dilators and other devices, but would those be... Uh, So there's so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's different devices out there where like you can hook them up to your phone and they'll show that you're creating pressure around the device that's in your vagina. And I think they're most often marketed to help you with your pelvic floor muscle strengthening. And those can be, if you're using them as directed, I think that they're great, especially because there's not enough pelvic floor physical therapists around to meet all the needs of people who need pelvic floor physical therapy. Or maybe you've even had, you know, an evaluation from a physical therapist and they tell you, you need some strengthening, but maybe you don't have the time to go to physical therapy consistently. So one of these devices that help to keep you accountable and show you what you're doing can be great. So there's some that help you to strengthen 
There are other tools out there that can help you to stretch or relax your pelvic floor. So when you mention dilators, or I think they're trying to, you know, start to call them vaginal trainers now, although that's not picking up and nobody knows what we're talking about, but they can be used to progressively lengthen and stretch the pelvic floor. Or there's certain types of, we'll call them wands or pelvic floor wands that if you needed to access and provide a little bit of massage to your pelvic floor, that they can help you reach that as well. And there is a lot of companies that sell those. And some of them also have instructional videos on how to use them. Mm-hmm. I think in general, it's oftentimes helpful if you have an overactive pelvic floor to see a physical therapist and get some instruction and a little bit of confidence in using them and make sure you're using them properly and also to make sure you're using them comfortably and that they're appropriate devices for you. But I think that they can be really helpful for people to help them manage their pelvic floor problems. Wonderful. So I'm going to sort of go backwards and go back to my original PSA or public service announcement about the potential need for pregnant bodies to seek pelvic floor PT before becoming pregnant. So maybe you can explain to our audience why getting professional help can actually benefit a birthing person during pregnancy. During the pregnancy or prior to pregnancy? So if they were to seek therapy before pregnancy and then become pregnant, why would that be important or helpful for them? Great question. And this is something that I see a lot. So we talked about how if you have those muscles that are overactive, that it can make it difficult or painful to participate in penetrative activities. So I'll oftentimes see people who have painful penetration. So if they know that they are interested in conceiving, and for some people that will involve scheduled times in which they want to have penetrative vaginal intercourse, that can be something that is, you know, it's for many people already stressful as is. And then to throw the kind of anxiety about having painful intercourse, it can make things really difficult. So I do have some people who've maybe had painful penetration their whole lives, but now that they're actually interested in conceiving and they know that they have to, or that they want to have intercourse more frequently, they'll come to me to help them learn how they can have intercourse more comfortably. Mm. So some people, they haven't had it all their lives, so maybe they've had some type of change or maybe something going on like we talked about before now all of a sudden those muscles are a little bit more tense and it's more difficult to have comfortable penetration so i'll have people come to me at that point so and maybe we'll use some of those tools like we talked about before but we'll learn if pelvic floor muscle overactivity is contributing to their issues or if there's other things going on how to get the muscles to relax or who to send them for some additional help so that intercourse can be more comfortable. Great. And what about once you are pregnant and as you're sort of progressing through your pregnancy, pelvic floor issues can come up or what is that role of the pelvic floor through pregnancy? So I really love your analogy before as the pelvic floor, like a sling or a hammock supporting those pelvic organs. 
So your pelvic floor is supporting the vagina and the uterus, and the uterus is just getting heavier and heavier and bigger and bigger, which is putting increased stress and also stretch on the pelvic floor. So you're requiring your muscles, your pelvic floor muscles to support this bigger, heavier uterus. And the muscles are now kind of stretched out more than they have before. So that can create some challenges for the pelvic floor, sometimes during the course of pregnancy due to that increase stress to the muscles, people might experience some discomfort. So maybe they need to work on relaxation of the pelvic floor, or maybe they might be experiencing a little bit of that leaking, perhaps feeling a little bit of heaviness down there. It might be appropriate for them to strengthen their pelvic floor, which some people will even get on that early on in their pregnancy to help to prepare them for that increased stress on the pelvic floor muscles. So depending on the person, what they need may depend on what's going on with their particular pelvic floor. So we'll see some people for strengthening and for general strengthening and exercise during their pregnancy, or we might, you know, be seeing them to teach them how to relax and let their muscles recharge for all the work that they're doing. For yeah. Them. And actually, I always think of a, I think it was like a little tidbit that you shared with our group of our community with DC birth doulas that during a vaginal delivery, the pelvic floor muscles can stretch more than 217% their normal length. And when I read that, I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, I mean, that alone to prepare your body for that is yes. probably equally as important, right? Right, exactly. So we talked about just kind of, sir, you know, getting through the pregnancy part yeah. of it. And then when you get to the actual delivery part, it can be so helpful for people to feel more confident in lengthening and relaxing their pelvic floor in preparation for a vaginal delivery, which can make things hopefully run a little bit smoother. So that ability to understand how to lengthen and relax that pelvic floor is so important. And there's so many things, I think, on Instagram these days or on social media that says your pelvic floor does not need to push the baby out. The pelvic floor just needs to get out of the way. Your, you know, uterus, everything That's else is going to contract to get that, that baby out. You do not need a, a strong pelvic floor to get that baby out. It just needs to get out of the way. So if you can learn that before delivery and do certain things, like especially before the first vaginal delivery, learn how to stretch the tissues of the perineum, do a little bit of perineal massage, all of those things can be really helpful. That's cool. Awesome. I love that analogy. It's, it's just, just get out of the way, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can you run through what therapy might look like for our pregnant or soon to be pregnant folks? What you might cover in an appointment or even just like little things that they might be doing for homework? Okay. Because we um, love to so give homework, right, Lauren? We do. We do. We love to give homework. If you're able to do it. If you're able to do you it know. within reason. Yeah, exactly. If you're super busy and you just had a baby and all you can do is some breathing, that was, it would probably be the best thing that you could do, but it's always going to depend person to person. And of course, on your level of comfort. 
So, you know, the big question is, is, oh, are you going to do a vaginal exam? And oftentimes we do, but it has to be with your consent and your permission and you have to feel comfortable in order to do that. So if that is not something that you feel comfortable with, we're not going to do it. You know, it's not like a life-saving exam. We're not looking for cancer or anything like that. So if it's something that you don't feel comfortable with, it does not need to be done. So we talked about before that the, the pelvic floor is part of a system. So we're oftentimes not just looking at your pelvic floor. You know, we're looking at the way you breathe. We might look at your general mobility and strength as well. We might look at your abdominal wall and your hips to see you as a whole person and all the things that if you're coming in with a particular issue might be contributing to your issue. Or if you're just coming in for some preparation for birth, just to get a little bit of a better idea of how we might best be able to help you and your whole body. Now, if we do decide that a pelvic exam is appropriate, it's very different from your gynecological exam, you're not going to have your legs in stirrups, you know, you have the freedom to move. And of course, at any time, if you want the provider to stop, they definitely will. And there are no speculums. I forget if I already said that, but that is always a big plus. What we're looking to do is see how your muscles are able to contract and relax and lengthen to feel if there's any areas of tension and to get a general assessment on your strength and coordination. So we'll look at you as a whole person. We'll do a pelvic exam if it is appropriate and you feel comfortable with it. And then based on what you have going on in particular, we'll design a program that you're able to do to help with whatever's going on, whether it's to kind of get you stronger, to help you to lengthen your pelvic floor, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I think that's so such a good point because a pelvic floor physio exam is very different than than a regular pelvic exam from an OB or whatnot. It it really truly is a different experience. So I think that is something to share with listeners to make them feel a little bit less anxious or or more confident with the decisions that they want to make as they seek therapy. Now, I mean, we can totally talk about this all day. So uh, I think we'll wrap up there. But I do want, uh, I like to sort of understand what other people are listening to. So before you go, what what are you listening to in terms of podcasts right now that you think our listeners might like? It depends. So I... You know, I guess my favorite, I guess as a pelvic floor physical therapist, my favorite pelvic floor podcast, which is more, I guess the audience is more pelvic floor physical therapist, but there's a podcast out there by a physio because she's in Australia. She's a pelvic floor physio and it's called the Pelvic Health Podcast and has a lot of really great educational material, mostly directed at pelvic floor physical therapists. But if you look at it and there's like a topic that you like, or you kind of want to know what your providers know, it's a really awesome podcast. Other than that, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, which is not going to be helpful for anyone's (laughs) pelvic floor. And if you have an overactive pelvic floor, it's going to make it super... even more overactive. I mean, do you want to hear about my, (laughs) I guess, more like podcasts that I listen to for fun? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, sure. I mean, no, that that's perfect. Everyone, <laughs> everyone has their little vice, right? You like true crime. I know. I'm a I do. big sucker for like podcasts like This American Life or like any of the NPR podcasts. Those are just 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 a little personal tidbit. Nothing yes. wrong with that. <laughs> there great. is nothing wrong with that. And I'll, I'll listen to my news podcasts too. But when I totally need to let go, I'll like listen to my favorite murder or true crime obsessed podcast. And for some reason that really helps me to relax. And I don't know what that says about me, but there you go. But if you're looking for a good pelvic health one, <laughs> I really enjoy the pelvic health podcast. And you know, I, I do think that there are more and more educational, either sex medicine or all different types of podcasts out there that are more for people who are interested about in learning about that kind of stuff. And I forget if you and I talked about this before, which this is not a podcast, so this is not an answer to your question, but there are some audible or audiobooks out there by oh. Emily Nagoski who she has like an audiobook called Come As You Are, which is all about sexuality. Okay. I recommend to so many of my patients. And she also has one out there on burnout, which I think is just fantastic. So, which awesome. is not yeah, an no, answer to your question, but it's like, I'm obsessed with a, them these days. <laughs> it's a great, great recommendation. I'll have to definitely seek that one out. And hopefully our listeners will be interested as well. I'm, I'm sure they will be. So Lauren, thank you so much for being with me here today and sharing your incredible knowledge with listeners truly from around the globe, if you think about it. It's Lamaze International, right? So thank you so much for your time. And I can't wait to have you on the podcast again sometime. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in today to the Lamaz podcast. Please go to our website, www.lamaz.org. That's L-A-M-A-Z-E, or is it Z in the United States? I always forget. It's Z in the U.S. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I was and, like, oh, you fancy. Yeah, there you go. And you can learn more there about Lamaz and how to connect to a childbirth educator and class and so many other resources related to pregnancy, childbirth, and parenthood. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Lamaz podcast and give us a five-star review. This will help other families to subscribe and really find out about all this great information on the podcast in the podcast world. So looking forward to you tuning in next time. And for today's episode, I've been your host, Priyanka Banerjee. Until next time, au revoir, kaltahabe, and goodbye. 